When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mal Evans was a part-time bouncer at the Cabin Club when Beatles manager Brian Epstein asked him to become the band's roadie. He travelled with them on tour and even appeared in some of their films, and along the way, it's thought he collected things for a personal archive that was lost when he died. This story inspired this week's guest, author Caroline Smales, whose book Finding Martha Lost includes Mal's lost papers. I'm Ellen Kerwin. And I'm Laura Davis, and this is Beatles City. So how much do we actually learn about the archive and do we find out at all how it was lost? Well, there's a lot of mystery surrounding it and I suppose whether it really existed at all. So Mal Evans accompanied the Beatles on tour. He um, he was in their films. He's on a lot of the photographs of them. He's really tall. So once you know what he looks like, you can kind of spot him in everything. Um, so I think the theory really is that along the way, he must have just collected stuff because you can't help but do that in life. And then he died really tragically. He was shot at home by police. And then he was estranged from his from his wife at that point. He was living in Los Angeles. So it seems that all his belongings just sort of disappeared at that point. He was also writing a book at the time about his time with the Beatles. So he must have had papers and he must have had all these fascinating things. But they've never really been found. One of the things that Caroline was really interested in was the fact that a suitcase had appeared in Australia that was believed to have had a lot of these papers and things in. And then they they all turned out to be fake. So the book itself, is it just based around Mal and his sort of lost, um, his lost collection? Or is it features around other people and other things as well? Yeah, so it's a novel and it's not really about Mal Evans, but his story is very much a part of it and it's kind of this thread through it so it's set all set in Lime Street Station and there's a little bit in the Adelphi as well another kind of well-known sort of Liverpool Beatles landmarks and it's a girl who who has always lived in the station she was left there as a baby um, and she lives in the lost property office and she becomes involved in the story of Mal Evans and his lost ashes because as well as all of his documents being lost when his ashes were sent back from America to Liverpool they went missing in the postal service and they were eventually found, that story becomes part of her story. So it's quite a nice way of finding out all about Mal Evans without reading a history book, I suppose. And Caroline did an awful lot of research and became really obsessed with the story while she was writing this book. Yeah, I can't believe I had this book on my on my bookshelf all these years. I was completely convinced I'd read it. Um, and then when you described it to me, I thought, no, I haven't read that. So what got you interested in Mal Evans? I think it was, um, obviously I've, I've grown up, um, I'm not from Liverpool, originally I'm from Newcastle, I came here to study, but I grew up with kind of family mythology around the Beatles. I think everyone has this kind of story around the Beatles. My mum's one was that when she was at art school, she drew the Beatles 
and she waited outside the hotel they were in and gave it to them and she got them and they signed the um these illustrations that she'd drawn for them and then she got them back but no one's ever seen them um since then my grandma's died and there's like I just can't imagine anyone throwing that away so I think it was um kind of we'd grown up with that and she had um I still got all her kind of singles from from the Beatles when she got them and then when I got married I walked down the aisle to when I'm 64. Oh, oh, okay. So I've kind of had that um fascination with the Beatles anyway but when I decided I wanted to write something set in Liverpool um I didn't want to do something kind of too stereotypical with it um and I was kind of just searching on the web just like Beatles related stories and then I came across this article um from an Australian newspaper that was about a guy British tourist who had been at a car boot sale and found this suitcase and at the time when it first came when it first was like the article was published it's like a major excitement thing and this is it this is the mal evans archive that's been missing so i wonder what that is and then i started kind of investigating and finding out more about him and it was just like a gift for a storyteller as well you know because it was like he died in 1976 which is the year of the heat wave and quite a few novels at the time were being written about this summer kind of the heat within the summer and then I found out that um his ashes after he died were sent back to to Liverpool and they got lost in transit and it kind of all sort of like this was all happening and then I happened to go to this is really kind of far-reaching but just bear with me happened to go to a Nick Kershaw concert okay in Liverpool and I was walking through Lime Street station and couldn't figure out um how to get cash out you know, he's trying trying to find a cash machine in Lime Street station. And so I went into the I don't know, I went into the lost property office and said, Hi, where do you you know, can you tell me where the um cash machines are? And he pointed at this laminated sign that he'd made. Because obviously everyone was to ask where the cash machines are and it had like platform where platform it was. And it was one of those I thought, wait a minute, I think I need to write something kind of set in a lost property office and it could link to the ashes and then it was like this kind of right I need to find out more about Mal but also um because I was writing about somebody who was real and had living relatives it, it kind of caused this conflict in me where I almost didn't want to write about him because I didn't want to offend anyone or if I presented him so the story of Mal is like this tiny story kind of weaving through of a guy who's an Australian guy who's found this archive that he believes in he's coming to Liverpool to see if it's you know get it validated and see if it's you know get checked and see if it's right so that's how it kind of all threaded together um but there's so much about Mal I mean I could I would really like to write another book just about him like actual not not fictionalizing but because I'm just fascinated in it. So obviously we're, that's who we're here to talk about, but it'd be good to describe for people who haven't read it, um, The Finding of Martha Lost, which is the book that you've just described a little bit with the thread of the Mal yeah. story through it. Okay, so Martha Lost is, um, Finding Martha Lost, it's set in Lime Street Station. Um, virtually all of it is, and it's about a little girl who um, she's told that she was abandoned on a train and that she um, was left then on a shelf in a lost property office and nobody came to claim her. So she's never left Lime Street Station and she lives in the lost property office. 
But added to that, her mother, um, who has runs the lost property office and has been looking after her, has told her that she's the liver bird of Lime Street Station. And if she ever leaves the station, then it'll crumble to the tunnels underneath. So it's a kind of um, coming of age novel set in 1976. So it has the kind of coming out of the Beatles era um, and this Liverpool feel at the time and um, a sense of finding yourself when you're trapped within a, a quite a, a wonderful space that's Lime Street Station. So it's really, really scarce. Um, and obviously, it, I think someone described it as a love letter to Liverpool. I think that's probably true. I think it was kind of a, a way to all the characters that I've met over the year. And also that sense of finding a home, because um, I feel I belong here. And I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere for a long time. But now I feel that I do. Mm, that's nice. I like the idea of of somebody finding a home and feeling like they belong in, in such a place that's so transient that... That's sort of what I like about Lime Street, that you can stand in the middle and watch people come and go and wonder what, you know, what their lives are like and what they're going off to. But she's very much, that's her home. She's never left there. Yeah, and this fascination with that sense of family and what it is to have family. Um, and also this, like, she looks at everybody to try and see if she can identify pieces of herself within the people. And um, that acceptance that all these people around her accept her for, for who she is. Um, and I think that's that's what I found in Liverpool. Because I remember when I first arrived here, I came by train and I remember stepping off at Lime Street Station and not really knowing the way and, and feeling really lost. But there's something about the people and the community that embraces kind of lost souls or stray dogs, which yeah, I'm classing myself as that, and kind of welcomes them into um, into this world of, of acceptance. And I don't think there's many places in the world that do that, um, especially many cities that do it. So it makes it really unique. Yeah. So one of the things that um, reading about Mal Evans um, after I read your book that really struck me was how much the Beatles kept the people from their from their youth around them as they progressed and as they became famous, that they sort of chose to have people like Neil Aspinall and Mal Evans to be the people. I mean, they were they were actually their bodyguards at one point. They had people from home actually protecting them when they were out on tour. Yeah. You kind of paint a picture of Mal as this very kind of kind, generous sort of person. Is that how you think he would have been? I think from all the reports that I, I read, and I kind of, now that, when you, you start reading about him, there were loads of things, like I have a list um, of all the like musical contributions he made, the appearances that he made within the films, and I found myself watching them now and spotting him, because you can't miss him, like they, they kind of describe him as this gentle giant, so I think he was about six foot six, so you kind of see him in all the, the pictures. Um, initially, I don't, there's loads of gaps in it that I'm trying to find out more, but initially he was working in the post office. I think he was an engineer in the post office and he went to um, the Cavern Club and actually heard the Beatles and that's where he got his interest, but he never, he kind of like, one of the, the jokes was he was an Elvis Presley fan and that was kind of the thing. So he was there in a lunchtime break and then he somehow behind, befriended George Harrison and then George Harrison suggested to the Cavern Club manager that Mal Evans, you know, would make a really good bouncer because of his height. And then that's kind of like his first connection into it. 
And there's loads of things like where, where you can, some people classify as the sixth beetle. I know we're always saying the fifth beetle, the sixth beetle, but some people obviously do. And he kind of then became um, a bouncer, but then like almost like a manager. And he took on lots of different roles. And he, but then by the end of his life, you know, there's, there's nothing. No one, none of the Beatles went to his funeral. Oh. So there is like a spiral. Um, and his death was, was truly tragic. You know, he was shot by the police and he's home in LA. So I think that there is this kind of spiral down. Um, but it's, it's so fascinating because it's just this character on the outside and so few people have heard of him. Yet he was hugely important to all the Beatles, you know? I love the idea that once you know what he looks like, that you can't help but spot him in, in the films. Yeah. Um, he was in Hard Day's Night, wasn't he? And then the Let It Be film. Yeah. I've got um, all of them. He's like loads. So he played, he played the organ on Rubber Soul. Um, so he was Hard Day's Night. He had a walk-on role carrying an upright bass in a backstage scene. In Help, he played a confused channel swimmer who pops up in Austria in the... Um, and then Magical Mystery Tour, he appeared as a magician on the 60-seater coach, and he cast these mysterious spells over the passengers. Um, in Let It Be, he's seen playing the anvil and later talking to police officers on the rooftop. So it's kind of like, he obviously, yes, he will have this archive. You know, he will have this whole suitcase full of all these things that he's collected from his time to the field because that was his life. You know, that was kind of the thing. In the same way that we all collect bits and bobs as we as we go through life but his just happened to have this amazing connection yeah one of the things that I can't quite find the answer to which I'm really fascinated in was that at his time of death so he died on the 5th of January I think it was 1976 um he was writing a manuscript of his time with the Beatles um I think at the at the time I've got it written down it said um he was it was going to be called living with Beatles legend and he, legends, and he was due to deliver the manuscript on the 12th of January, and that was never delivered. So it's somewhere. What's happened? Where is it? You know, and that is part of this archive when you start kind of investigating it. And why, obviously, everyone must have got really excited when the suitcase was found, you know, on a car boot sale in Australia. God knows why it would be in Australia, but still, <laughs> um, you know, all these things that could have that could have been inside it. Um, I think I kind of, you know, with my mum drawing the pictures, I know it's nothing like it, but you have this idea that one day you'll find, you'll come across these somewhere, like, I don't know where now, because everyone's moved house so many times, but like, you'll come across this thing that the Beatles, part of Beatles history, and it'll be worth an absolute fortune, you know, but the guy who found the, this suitcase on the car boot, you must have thought, yes, you know, I'll be a millionaire. So, yeah. <laughs> so you've got your own Lost Beatles archive then? yeah or did it actually happen you know it's one of those it's one of those stories I'd, I'd love to think that it did you know but I don't know she's got um the only thing that we have is she she really liked Elvis as well she has like an Elvis scrapbook and that's quite fascinating because it's got all like cards and newspaper cuttings from the time so maybe she did but I just don't understand why anyone would throw away the art that's been signed by the Beatles you know it's madness yeah, yeah. I'm not sure it matters if it's true. It's still such a good story. Yeah, I know. It's quite nice. It's kind of, oh, but imagine if it was true. Imagine if one day 
I find it. And uh, I'll be sure to tell you if I do. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so have you got any theories on where where his lost archive could be? Well, I think some people think that it might be with Yoko. Um, that's kind of because I think that he wrote, well, he had a lot from the Lost Weekend as well. So he was there. Um, but they're just, it's rumours on the internet. Let's face it, I'm I'm researching on the internet and I'm not a researcher, but I think it's like a, a wormhole you go down once you start kind of looking into him and trying to spot him. And I had made all these notes, honestly, it was like months and months of research. I was so fascinated with him. I wasn't writing. I was just obsessed with Mal Evans. But then when I came to write the novel, I thought I can't put this in because... It's just basically me telling you, like I'm doing now, telling because I'm so excited and telling you about all this information I found out about Mal Evans. But people who are reading the novels don't want to read that. They want to read the story, you know. So I think I've got all this information and I'd love to write something kind of about him. But then it's like, is it my place? It's, I have this weird um, moral, ethical responsibility, you know, as a writer writing about someone who has, you know, he's got children who who are alive, like, what right have I got to tell that story? It should, it should be their right to tell the story. or Because um, it was, when the book came out, there wasn't really a reception in Liverpool. It wasn't really, maybe it's just hard to reach an audience, but around the world, um, like, Germany preempted it. So they saw it before any other publisher saw it. And they brought it out before it was out in Liverpool. They even moved forward and they gave a big advance and, it's done really well in Germany and Italy Italy did the same and so it's like sold around the world um and then somebody approached me in lockdown who'd read it and um she was like shall we make this into a musical okay um then she's like yeah and then in lockdown suddenly she just she wrote all these songs about it so I during lockdown I wrote the musical script for it and she's written all these songs like linked to it and I thought oh that'd be really I don't know what happened with it because obviously it's just first draft at the moment but it was like okay this feels like something for Liverpool and if I don't care if it doesn't go anywhere else but it'd be lovely if it was kind of shown in Liverpool like a musical version yeah you can imagine this the set would be really amazing of the station and you could do like really interesting things with all you know when they go down the tunnels underneath could do yeah. that really interesting. That was another thing because in the novel where I talk about the tunnels underneath and I didn't really it's give me a chance to explore Liverpool um and the William, Williamson tunnels and obviously going down and looking at this underworld and um there's so much. I mean when you start I don't know why more novels aren't written set in Liverpool really. I think that's that's the way forward. I'm just setting all of mine here now. <laughs> it's very rich I think and and your your book has so many layers and like you know just one little fact that could be a whole sort of a whole book in itself I think I mean the Williamson tunnels are fascinating aren't they the way they were built they were dug for apparently no purpose at all I know that's another novel in itself isn't it you know it's like honestly I could just go on and on with it but I think the mouth thing I love that people can kind of discover him so they're like some of the times people picked up the book and they read it because they had the Beatles like the hardback edition had like little illustrations of the Beatles on and it was really beautiful and that people could pick it up because they're interested in the Beatles they have that link and then but they nobody they didn't know about Mal and then they'd find out that little bit more and I get lots of people kind of saying yeah I looked and I watched that film and I spotted him and 
you know, because you can't miss him. When you know what he looks like, when you Google him now, you know what he looks like. You can't, you'd look out for him. It's like, where's Wally type? That's what I'm doing like this, you know, kind of spotting around things. And other, other people are. And I think that's quite nice that I think a lot of people are overshadowed by, but their stories are overshadowed by the Beatles, rightly so, because our focus is on the music. And But then these other characters that have contributed so much to their rise to fame. And they have their own stories to tell, which are fascinating themselves. And maybe there is another novel or there is something else purely on Mal. But it might be that I need to be further away from his death or yeah. somebody else needs to be further from away from his death to do it. Yeah. Um, to be respectful to his family and his reasons what you know why he went to LA and the life he was living in LA away from his family in Liverpool. Have you looked much into into what happened around his death? Because it was I was really surprised by that when I started looking. Yeah, I mean I wrote um a whole scene because originally the book was gonna be a lot more mal and um I struggled with it. I struggled with my right I had the whole scene so when he was in LA, there was lot, there were lots of he was living with somebody else, um, and there were lots of kind of reports about his mental state at the time. And then there's been a disturbance, and the police have been called, and he reaches for when the police are there, he reaches for what they think is a rifle, and then mal shot. Um, you know, it's it's. I didn't feel like I wanted to write that part of the story. I didn't feel like it was my story to tell because yeah. I can imagine, you know, there was a lot, when I started investigating it, it was lots of sort of saying, oh, he, maybe he, someone said, well, his wife asked for a divorce just before Christmas. But no, I don't want to, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to be the person who's, who's telling that story. Um, but maybe that's my kind of moral, ethical, other people would probably think, you know, this is a, it is a brilliant story. You know, it is like his life and his spiral down really um, is fascinating to, we, we live in a culture where we are fascinated by people's downfall. And, you know, that's, that's the sadness of it. But I kind of, I wanted to paint him in the way that the reports were, like he was a witness at Paul McCartney's wedding. You know, that's how important he was to them. So I think it's, I, I prefer that idea of he was their finder. You know, he went off and he, he, he anything that they needed, he would drive them anywhere. And I liked that kind of gentle giant because that's what a lot of their reports were. But I didn't want to focus in on his death and none of the Beatles turning to, up to his funeral or anything like that. I didn't want, you know, I think that yeah. was my well, sometimes somebody's whole life gets overshadowed by what happened right at the end. Yeah. That probably says less about him than, than the way he lived before that. Absolutely. I think it's like, I always think of it in terms of, um, it's a bit far out again, but you know, Inside Out, the Disney film, where like this sadness touches a happy memory and that changes to everything being sad. And it's so easy just to focus on that and define people by the end of their life rather than all the good things and um, their kind of status when they've been alive. It's very affectionate towards the city. I hope so. I wrote it under a different name, under a different surname for it, because my other books that I'd written have been quite dark. And I thought, I don't want, I want to kind of not put people off. You know, people who might have seen like my dark kind of experimental books because this was more. This is a story. It's 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 fiction. It's a story. And I thought, right, I'll just change. I used family names for my surname, so I used Caroline Wallace instead. 
and I quite liked that because it gave it a fresh a fresh start you know everyone went into it reading it obviously it wasn't a secret so people who knew my other books knew about it but they went into it kind of yeah it's it's a new book and they could almost sell it as a debut but honestly I'm, I could talk to you for hours about him I'm obsessed with him. <laughs> I was gonna ask you if you could find one one thing that you that you think that belonged to him what you know if you could find a suitcase at a car boot sale now what would you want to be inside it oh well it's said that he co-wrote um you and me babe with harrison um and i'd quite like that kind of imagine the original notes something like that within it um and i, I mean he's credited on lots of harrison's kind of um on the songs and albums but I think something like that you know they just handwritten kind of notes or lyrics or just just a tiny just a tiny kind of snippet that what I think to be true is true mm. yeah and owning a piece of it and it shouldn't matter but imagine just having a tiny piece of that history uh, I, I talked to myself about it for hours. So it's just nice to talk to somebody else <laughs> to find, like, see, find people who say, like, yeah, they're Beatles fans, and then you tell, start telling them, and they're really fascinated, but they, they stop being fascinated after about five minutes. Whereas I want to be talking about it, and you're still going years later. <laughs> well, sorry to move 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 on at that point, but I thought we should have a bit of a chat about your new book, which is also set in Liverpool, isn't it? Which I haven't read yet, um, but I'm I'm planning to read it over the next week or so. So it's the unwrapping of Theodora Quirk. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, this is um, completely different. It's not a Beatles one, but um, this novel, I was told not to write, um, or if I was going to write it, not to set it in Liverpool because nobody wants to read about a working class girl from Liverpool that I should set it in London or somewhere abroad to be a bit more exotic because Liverpool's depressing. Um, so I kind of sat with that a little while and then thought, no, I'm going to write it. I'm going to write the story that I want to write and lost my agent as a response, which was which was fun. Um, but you know what? It was the freest thing I've ever written. It's it's a retelling of the St. Nicholas myth, because obviously St. Nicholas is the patron saint of Liverpool and New York and lots of exciting places. And I thought, what better than if St. Nicholas does exist? Um he's going to come to Liverpool. So it's basically kind of looking at how it used to be where you'd celebrate St. Nicholas Day rather than like the religious aspect of Christmas Day. And then in kind of Holland and Germany, they do this where you, on the morning of St. Nicholas Day, children wake up and they've got little tiny little presents in their, um, in their shoes. And, and I just thought I love the idea of kind of examining how we've become a really commercial society. And what if we went back to because it's like after lockdown to remembering joyous like joy in tiny moments but it's really scarce and it's really sweary and it's a Christmas novel that is about Saint Nick turning up on this girl's door and telling her that he needs to save her and she doesn't actually need saving but he's determined that he needs to save her and it's a Christmas carol meets Doctor Who that kind of kind of magical um but it's it's sweary and it's northern and that a lot of people don't like sweary and northern but it's something different a lot of festive books being published at this time of year are all quite similar with kind of boy meets girl romance and they have quite similar covers whereas this isn't a boy meets girl romance but it's 
about friendship and love and finding kind of hope after darkness, that kind of feel. That's the first time I've spoken about it. First time I've told anyone what it's about. (laughs) And you've got me feeling festive in September, which is quite good going. Fantastic. We all, we need it this year. I think we need something. I think we do. I wonder if Christmas this year will be a bit more like that and less commercialised because I don't know, at the moment, we're just all hoping we can spend it with friends and family, aren't we? But that's the thing. I hope we don't miss that because at the moment, lots of people are like, oh, who would I pick? I hope, you know, if if we can really spend it with small amounts of people. And I kind of, it is that suddenly these things are really important. It isn't about the presence. It's about these connections. If you've enjoyed this episode of Beetle City, please remember to review, rate and subscribe on your favourite podcast app, where you'll also find all episodes from our first three series. Join us next week when we'll be talking to Peter Hooten of the Liverpool band The Farm, who is now chair of the city's Beatles Legacy Group. <laughs>